Good morning. Good morning. And that was empty and dead. Good morning. Man, I'm so excited to be here with you guys this morning and so excited to look into what God has to say to us. We started a series last week called uh, We the Church. Woo, yeah, uh, thank you uh, for that. That was good. I was, I was excited. I guess you weren't, but I was excited. We uh, started a series last week called We the Church. And uh, man, I'm so excited about, thank you, Sympathy Woo back there. Um, so excited to be back with you guys this morning in this, in, in this scripture um, can I just say, if we, if we don't have a healthy view of the church, we'll never have a healthy church. Amen? If we don't see and know what the church was intended to be, uh, we will never be a healthy church. And for some of us, we've went to church kind of our whole life, and we've got this church culture, and we've seen what we think church is. And can I just say, I don't think when Jesus was sitting around planning out the church, that the church we see is the church he had in mind. Amen. Um, I love the church. I'm not going to bash and beat up on the church too much this morning because I believe in the church. If you look at our website, I think one of the first things it says is we believe in the church. We, we do believe in the church, but we say we believe in the church. What we don't believe is that the church is just kind of this building that we come and hang out in. See, the truth this morning, we had to come around some things if we're going to be a healthy church. And one is that a church is not a building or organization that we attend. Amen. Because if it is, we can blame the building, right? It's not the building's fault. The building, this used to be a bar. And can I just say, one day it may go back there. Amen? This used to be a bar. We still got the bar in the back of the room. They, they serve drinks on that thing that we have sound stuff on right now. Uh, that used to be a bar. Some Rick, I think, was here and he dissected that thing like he knows. Uh, it used to be a bar. And one day this may very well go back to a bar. This is just a building. Amen? Power God doesn't show up here because he likes the color of the paint or the color of the carpet or because he likes kind of the organization that we do put the chairs in. Uh, that's more than that. See, the church is not a building or an organization we attend, but it's a group of people who are followers of Jesus that we meet with. It's a body that we belong to. It's a, it's a group of people, of, of saved people, of people that have given their life to Jesus that meet together and, and become this amazing thing called the body of Christ. Amen? That, that's, a, that's an amazing thing to me. Amen, because what that means is, like we talked about last week, you're not just somebody who comes and sits in a chair, but you are a part, you're a member, you're, you're, a, you're a, a, a part of the body of Christ. That carries more weight than I'm going to come fill up a chair. Amen? But what, another thing we need to come around is, is this idea that, that we are the church. Not you are the church. You're, you're not the church by yourself. You can go home and you can read the Bible and you can go home and you can sing worship songs, but you're not the church at home. Amen. You're, you're a piece of it, a piece of it that's removed from the body if you're there. Um, and that's not what you were intended to be. See, the truth of it is we together collectively are the church. And what that means is we need each other. I mean, this was never intended to be a single solitary, like I'm just a person doing my thing, having a relationship with Jesus. It was never meant to be that way. See, the truth of it is we will never reach our potential as, as a member of the body until we meet together with the body, until we join together and work together with the body. See, the reality of it is we are the church. Amen. And what that means is to have a healthy view of the church this morning, we can be a healthy church, but we have to know some things, and that is what we talked about last week. Amen. A couple, couple steps to be a healthy member of the church. Can I just say one of them is show up. Talked about that last week. We, we need you in this place. Amen. We can do it without you, but we're handicapped without you. That's how that works. That's a true story this morning. We, 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 can, we can have church without you. We can sing the songs probably without you. Somebody can sing songs. Amen. And we can have some kind of preaching without you. We can do that, but we'll never be a healthy church without you because we need the whole body. And another thing is not just to show up, but to invest, to be part of the body. See, the reality of it is a cell that's not doing its job is called cancer. Amen? And if you're just hanging out in the church, you're just a lump. You're a cancer. You're a tumor. You know, you may not be killing anything, but you're definitely handicapping us. We're feeding you, and you're not, you're not doing anything to come back to the body. A, a member of the church, a member of the body, remember, you get saved, and you're a member. It's not a choice. It's not a joining thing. Like, God placed you in this body, and you're a member because you're here. And if you refuse to work, then you are a cancer in the church. And I'm not saying leave, I'm saying fix it. Yeah. Invest in the body. Be part of the body. Find somewhere to serve. And it may not be, here's the newsflash, like first option on the list. It may be, this is what they need and it's what I'll do because I am here. 
Another, I'll just be honest, and I don't talk about this a lot, is to give. If we're going to be a healthy church, we have to have money because we have to minister. Amen? The reality of it is there's no church with people in it that should be worried about the rent. Amen? There's no church with people in it that should have to worry about the lot bill. And I'll just be honest, if we have to worry about those things, we can't minister. Because we have to have somewhere to show up, right? And we can't sit in here, I mean, we kind of sit in here in the dark anyway, but we can't sit in here in complete darkness. And the less going in, the less can go out. Churches that don't have money for ministry are dying churches. They're not effective. They're not doing anything. They're not growing. They are dying. Giving is a part of being a healthy church. Another is to pray for your church. If you're not praying for your church, and I don't mean like when you're here, oh, God, I'm here, and I need to figure out something to say, so just do something in the church. But like every day committing, Monday through Sunday, I'm going to pray for the people, right, in the building, and I'm going to pray that God uses this group to do something amazing in the kingdom. Little church always feeds into big church, world church. And then the next is we, we give and we pray, but we also invite. That we are about seeing the body be built in this place. See, the reality of it is, if you come here, you probably found something you like, which means you have something you can talk about, which means you have somebody that you can invite into this place. And if you're not doing that, you are not contributing to this being a healthy church. So, so we have a couple things that, that man are part of, and we saw last week, being part of a healthy body. And, and, and none of those things are just coming and sitting in a chair. Amen? None of those things are just coming and sitting in chair. God did not create anybody and call you out of death into life and call you out of darkness into marvelous light to come and sit in a chair until the resurrection or death. But he created us, he wove us together, knit us together just like you are knit together and every cell has a function. And you may be like a skin cell. You may, you may be like, I can't see you on your own. You're just part of a bigger thing. Maybe, maybe that's your job. Maybe you're just part of the bigger thing. Or maybe you're like the hand, who knows? But any way it goes, every person has a spot and a job. Amen? And it's not just encouraged in the Bible, it's expected in the Bible. And we talked about all that last week, and and just wanted to kind of rehash some of that, because this morning we're going to just go to the next chapter. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians was a, a letter written by Paul to the church at Corinth. And uh, I just want you to get that because this was not a letter written to the lost people of Corinth, but written to the church at Corinth. See, I think we read the Bible so many times and we're like, oh, that's for somebody else, or that's not really for me, or, you know, maybe it's not. That, that message, although good, was, was about Bob over there because Bob is low-down, dirty scum, and I'm a pretty good guy. But here's the reality. This entire book, made up of all these letters, was written to us as the church. I don't think there's any part of the Bible that was specifically written to lost people. I could be wrong if I am coming to check me later, I guess. But all these letters in the New Testament were written to churches, people that would say, man, I'm saved, I know Jesus, and I have a relationship with him, people who would come and meet together as, a, as the body. And this morning in 13, he's writing this letter in chapter 13 about love. Sounds weird, right? Why would you need to write a a section of your letter about love to the church? Because what I know in my head is the church should be the most loving group of people on the planet. Amen? Can we just amen that together? The church should be the most loving group of people on the planet. It's a true story. The church should be the most accepting group of people on the planet. You shouldn't have to come in here and conform and then belong. You should come and belong and then God will work on the conforming you, right? It's not like conform, believe, belong, right? But it's a belong, believe, conform. We flipped it. And the church should be the most loving group of people on the planet. Actually, Jesus wrote to the disciples when he was still walking on the planet. You, you can Google this later. Words in red. He, he said, they will know your mind by how you love each other. Can you believe that? Jesus wrote that to the disciples. It's not how you worship that's going to distinguish you among the people. 
It's not how you dress. We, we try to trust in that a lot, right? It's not how you dress that's going to distinguish you among the people on the planet. It's actually how you love. It's something more powerful than that, something bigger than that. And you would think, why in the world would, would Paul need to write this to the church? But, but can I just say this morning, I've been in all kinds of churches. I've been in a million churches. And the thing that we are worst at is this. We are horrible at loving people. Not people that are like us, by the way. We're really good at loving people that love us back. We are really good at loving people that dress like us and act like us and worship like us and, and, and pray like us. And we're, we're really good at loving people who are like us and who get along with us and who hold the same opinions as us. And we, we value that, and that's the people we fill our lives with. But that's not the love that he's talking about in 13, is it? See, what we talked about last week is the church should be the most diverse group of people on the planet, that it's actually our differences that make us strong. It's our, it's our differences, it's this diversity in the church that, that, that unites us into an amazing, an amazing vessel for Jesus to work in. See, the reality of it is it says we're many parts, right? Chapter right before this, we're many parts. And what that means is we're many different parts. And we all have different abilities, and we have different talents, and we have different functions, and here's something cool. We have different histories and backgrounds and beliefs. We come to the table with, with different perspectives, and that's actually our strength. But churches so often divide because we can't handle different perspectives. So he writes this letter to this church at Corinth, and he, and he writes in what we've made, chapter 13, about, about this thing called love. And he starts off in 13, and he says something weird. He says, if I speak the languages of men, if I'm a good orator, if I'm a good speaker, what he's saying here is I, I could be the best preacher in the world. Amen. With a following like nobody's ever seen before. I could fill up stadiums. I could have uh, all the way to the rafters in, in the biggest sports arena ever. People coming to hear me speech, speak. I could, I could do that. Or maybe of angels. I could, I could speak with the most amazing tongues. Like I could, I could stand up here and you could see God doing amazing things. You could be like, I have no idea how he's doing that. You could see the evidence of God working in me. But do not have love. I'm a sounding gong or a clanging cymbal isn't that crazy because we look at people like that and we're like man that's the most amazing thing ever I can't believe they can speak like that I wish I could speak like that I wish I could just kind of pull people in with my words like that I wish I was an order like that and we envy people like that and and here in this it says man it's not really worth much if it's not first from love isn't that crazy See, the reality of it is, is what he's saying here is it doesn't matter what man sees in, in our abilities. It doesn't matter if we maybe are the best preacher ever in the world. If there's not a heart of love behind it, we're nothing. It says we're like a, a gong. If you ever heard a gong, it's not a pleasant thing out of context, right? Like if I just kind of rolled up a gong this morning and, and told somebody beforehand, hey, just about you know, 15 minutes in, just go and smack that thing. No matter what's happening, just hit it as hard as you can. Everybody be jumping because it wouldn't be a pleasant thing. Or, or a clanging cymbal. Maybe if I walked back here behind the drum set today, you don't want to hear me play drums because I'm bad at it, but if I walked back here behind the drum set today without music, without anything going on, I'd just start out of rhythm, smashing on cymbals just because it's a fun thing, you would become annoyed and you would probably leave. That's horrible. That's, that's the worst sound ever. That doesn't go there. It's not in the right context. And what he's saying here is, man, you can be the best speaker in the world, but if, the, if it's not in the right context, if it's not from love, if it's not from a heart of love, if it's not from a loving person, if you don't have love, it's annoying. It's indistinguishable, and nobody wants to hear it. See, the reality of it is there's something deeper than what we see in somebody's ability to speak. It even goes on, and he says, actually, I'm going to double down on this. If I have the gift of prophecy, prophecy is this ability to like kind of speak things that are coming in the future, right? We see Bibles, there are books in the Bible that are prophetic and what's talking about is future, things to come. And it's like, man, you could have the gift of prophecy. You could be able to tell people what's coming in their life. That'd be, that'd be an amazing gift, right? Like, that'd be pretty cool if I just could walk up to you and be like, hey, I just want you to know, in the future, God's going to do this thing. Or, hey, I just want you to know, three days from now, you're going to meet the love of your life. It's going to be an amazing thing. Three days later, you'd be looking at everybody that come down the road, right? And it'd be, an, it'd be amazing. He says, you could have the gift of prophecy. Or, let's go on, uh, be able to understand all mysteries, the mysteries, the deep mysteries of the Bible. What he's saying here is you could be able to actually describe and in perfect detail uh, 
talk about the Trinity to us. That'd be a pretty amazing thing because I have no idea really how to explain that to you. Um, I, I, have, I have a general knowledge, but I'm going to have to wait till heaven until I have a full knowledge of that. Uh, and what he's saying here is maybe, maybe you could even do that. Or you could have all knowledge. You know, another spiritual gift, knowledge. He's saying you could, you could have this ability to recall the, the scripture, where it is and what it is from the Bible. You could be able actually to quote the whole Bible. That'd be pretty amazing. I would probably sit down and listen to you and read along if you could do that for the length of that because I'd be so impressed if you could actually go from the beginning to the end that it'd be worth my time, right? He said you, you could even be able to do that. You, you could be able to recall all knowledge, have this gift of knowledge, or you could even have all the faith. Faith actually so that... I can move mountains. You could have this faith that was the ability to, Jesus talks about this, be able to say to the mountain, get up and move, and the mountain would get up and move and be cast into the ocean. That's, you could actually have faith to that degree. Uh, you could take me out to the Smoky Mountains today and, and just look at one of those things and be like, hey, man, uh, I believe that God can move you, and, and I'm praying that, and that thing get up and be moved over to the ocean. We would all marvel at that. But then he goes and he says, but if you do not have love, or if I do not have love, I am nothing. Man, that's harsh. <laughs> what do you mean I'm nothing? We just saw all these spiritual gifts that are amazing spiritual gifts. Like to be able to prophesy, wouldn't that be an amazing gift? Like you guys are like, oh, I have, I have the gift of, you know, administration or whatever. I want the gift of prophecy. Like that would be an amazing gift, right? I have the gift of speaking, but man, prophecy would be pretty awesome. Or <laughs> being able to understand all, all, the, all the amazing deep mysteries of the Bible. Man, who wouldn't want that thing? Be able to understand and explain to people the deep mysteries of the Bible. That'd be an amazing spiritual gift. Or even beyond that, the, the ability to recall knowledge. I wish I had that. This is the one I wish I had because I'm, I'm a Google man. Because I can remember kind of the gist of the scripture, but I can't remember where it is. And I can't remember like word for word what it is. And it'd be an amazing thing to be able to quote mass amounts of scripture. It'd be cool. Uh, but but it, I don't have that. And it even goes on, and it says, uh, even if you've had the faith so that you could say to a mountain, get up and move, and it'd be moved. Like, who wouldn't want that? How many of us waver in faith all the time? We're like flipping around. We're like, oh, when I'm at church, man, I believe God's so powerful. And then Monday comes and something happens, and it's crazy. I wish like every day I could have that same kind of faith where I just believe in who God is and what he says he can do. I wish I could have that, don't you? But here's what he says. None of that matters if you don't have love. Man, like, seriously, the coolest spiritual gifts we can think of, and none of that matters. Like, all these were things that were listed in 12 as spiritual gifts from the Holy Spirit. And he says none of those things actually matter if they're not founded on, based on a heart of love. And we make it the least important thing in the church, don't we? Oh, man, as long as we sing good songs, who cares? Go to these countries where they have churches in their basement because they're afraid somebody's going to come in and persecute them. Actually, that happens. I don't know if you know that. But there are people who are killed for their faith on the planet today just for saying they believe in Jesus. They don't have good music, but they're thriving. Why? Because they love each other and they love God. They're not based on talent and ability because none of that stuff really matters. What matters is, man, we love God and we love people. And he says, if you don't love people, if you don't love each other, if there's no love in your church, then none of that stuff matters. We could have the best music, we have the best speaker, we could have the best lots, we could have the best everything, we could have the best coffee, which we kind of do, but I mean, whatever, I'm partial. We, we could have the best greeters, we, should, we could have the best parkers, we could have the most amazing like sign language program ever in the world, but if there's no love, it doesn't matter. Amen? True story. That's what the Bible says. I believe it because it's in here. Well, I don't know about that. Go to one. I've walked in hundreds of them. Actually, most churches you go into, nobody speaks to you on the way in, nobody speaks to you on the way out. Do you feel loved? Do you go back? You don't even remember the music and the preaching. You know why? Because nobody cared that you were there, so you don't care if you're there. He says none of that matters. He even goes on, he like doubles down again, which is crazy. You're like, I figured you'd be out of stuff by now. And he says, if I donate all my goods to feed the poor... And they're like, hold on, this is an act of love right here. Like, you, you literally, like the rich young ruler, wouldn't do, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. That's an act of love. It doesn't have to be, though, does it? See, the reality of it is we can serve with other motives. We can serve other people with the wrong heart all the time. We, we probably have done it before. Maybe some of us do it now. We, we can serve other people with the wrong motive. And he says it's even possible to sell everything you have and give it to the poor without loving. You know why? Because people come around behind you and they're like, man, that's so selfless. That's what you want. 
Man, that's so good. I can't believe you did that. I can't believe you do that. Man, that's an amazing thing. I wish that I could do that. I wish that I was like that. And that's what we're looking for, some of us, when we surf. He says that you can even serve out of that, out of this idea, this, this heart, that, man, it's not really about serving people. It's about being served. I want the pat on the back. I want the good job. I want the, 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 the love. I'm not serving, you know, from love, but I'm serving for love. Because I need somebody to tell me, man, you're doing great. You know what real service is? When nobody knows you do it and you just do it anyway. When nobody ever says thank you, but you continue to do it because that's out of love. When nobody knows your name, nobody sees you, you're just coming in kind of in the night and leaving in the night and nobody knows that you did anything, but you're doing it anyway because it's, that's out of love. If it's, if it's the love that I need, it's not service, it's being served and that's what he's saying. He even goes on, he says, and if I give my body, listen to this, it's crazy. If I give my body to be burned, if I give my life, how can you do that and not be out of love? Let me talk figuratively for a minute. Some people devote their lives to ministry, but they devote their lives to ministry for a platform. I want as many followers as I can get because it makes me feel good. It's not out of love. You can spend 80 years doing it, but if it's all about you at the end of the day, it's not love. You can give your life and never love. He says you can even give your body to be burned, but if you do not have love, you gain nothing. In other words, in heaven's economy, it's empty. You, you can spend your whole life leading people to Jesus, and if you never do it for love, if you're doing it for gratification, if you're doing it for the pat on the back at the end of the day, it's empty, and there's no reward for you in heaven. Oh man, that's so great, that's so good. That was your reward. And at the end of the day, you can leave this place with, with nothing to show for it because you were serving for love, not from love. Man, that's serious, isn't it? You ever been anywhere like that? You ever seen a ministry like that? You ever seen somebody get up and they serve and they are good at it? But at the end of the day, they don't care anything about anybody in that room except for them. There are singers like that, seen them. There are preachers like that, seen them. There are people that do every job in the church that really just do it. So somebody comes along, it's just a network opportunity. It's just a pat on the back. You, you can actually go to church every Sunday your entire life, and it was never for God. It was never for people. It was always for you. I'm just checking my box. I'm checking my list. I'm trying to feel good. I'm trying to feel loved. I'm trying to feel accepted, and it's never been about that. So every spiritual gift that Paul listed in 12, he said, we're a diverse body. We're a different kind of body, but we all work together for the same purpose. Now he comes back around, and he says, but before you start your work, before you do anything, before you ever move forward, I just want you to make sure you're building that ministry or you're building that service, you're building that thing on solid ground. And that solid ground is, I love God and I love his people. And I'm serving from love, not for love. See, in reality, this is so important because if you're serving for love, when you don't get the pat on the back, you're going to quit. Amen? If you're serving for recognition, when you don't get recognition, you're going to stop. And you'll never be a healthy body. You'll never be a healthy member of the body, and it'll never be a healthy body. It'll never be a loving body, and people will never be reached if we're not founded on this solid ground of love. I mean, the whole gospel is built on the solid ground of love. For God so what? Not for God so needed love. He sent his one and only son. But God so loved the world, who, by the way, would reject him. Who, by the way, in masses would never come and sit under and hear him teach. Who, by the way, would reject him. Who, by the way, would crucify him. For God so loved the world, who would kill him who would be mad at the audacity that God would ever even show up on the planet, who would sneer at him and spit on him and mock him, who would treat him horribly, who would punish him and eventually crucify him for God so loved that world, not for love but from love, that he gave 
in generosity, his one and only son, that whosoever believed in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Not because in that moment everybody would love God, but so that if one person would believe, they would live. See, the model of service from Jesus has been, I serve from love. I serve because I love. And in that solid ground, we can serve without reward, knowing that there is a greater reward in heaven. Amen? That means we serve when the seats are empty and we serve when the seats are full. And it looks the same. That means we clean when the seats are empty and we clean when the seats are full. And it looks the same. That means we park when there's one car or we park when there's a hundred cars and it looks the same. We park when it's sunny, we park when it's raining. You know why? It looks the same because we're not serving for love, we're serving from it. Oh, it's not fun to stand in the rain. But man, if you're serving from love, you can do it. I'm saying it looks the same. This is the foundation of the church. It's the superior way that he's talking about. But if it's so important, we need to know what it looks like. How do you get to that place? How do you love like that? And, and, and he writes these verses, verses that have been used out of context, and, and everybody's heard them, right? If you've ever been to a wedding, you've heard these. I married some people yesterday, and I read them. So I'm not <laughs> condemning you if you've ever preached from this for a wedding. Um, I, I do it too, because it is a picture of love. It is exactly what love looks like. But can I just say, this love that he's talking about is not love primarily between a man and a woman. It's primarily between you and the people around you at church. He's looking at the Corinthians and he's saying, inside the four walls of your church, this is what it should look like. This is how you should interact. This is real love. This is what love looks like. And I don't see it in here. I don't see it. And he starts talking about what love is. And he says... Love is patient. I'm just going to, I knew that I wouldn't remember this, so I did type it out in my notes, and I just want to read it for you. Um, here's the definition of patience. One phone. Um, patience is the ability to accept delays. That's what most of us think of, right? Patience is waiting. And it's just true. It's part of it. But it's also the ability to accept not only delays, but problems. And suffering without becoming annoyed. Wow. You're still going to pray for patience, right? <laughs> patience is the ability to accept delays, which we know it's the ability to wait without becoming annoyed. A lot of us need that gift. Father in heaven, right? <laughs> but it's also the ability to accept problems, which we are horrible at, and goes on sufferings without becoming annoyed. And this is how he's saying we should love each other in the church. He said, love is patient. In other words, not everybody's going to look like you. And not everybody's going to act like you. And not everybody's going to get there at the same time. And not everybody's going to put up their hand. And not everybody's going to shout. And not everybody's going to sing. And not everybody's going to dance. And not everybody's going to serve. Not everybody's going to do their part. Not everybody's going to give. Not everybody's going to pray. Some people are going to come and they're going to sit 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 and you're going to be frustrated and you're going to pull out your hair and you want to punch them in the face with the Bible like because you just want them to get it. But here's the deal. That's not love. Because love is patient. Love waits. Love will, love, will, love will sit there and it will allow you to move through the process with Jesus on your own. Love doesn't like spur you on and beat you to death. Love's not that way. Love is patience. Love is the ability to, to, to accept delay. They're never going to get it, but I'm going to love them. They're never going to come with us, but I'm going to love them. They're never going to get involved, but I'm going to love them. They're never going to do anything, but I'm going to love them. But here's the other part. Love is the ability to accept problems. That person's a problem in the church. That person's not just a sitting there kind of doing the thing, but that person causes me frustration. That person annoys me. That person is, is annoying to the people around them. That person is weird. That person tries to help and they, they screw it up. That person hooked up the, the sound the other day and blew up a speaker. <laughs> you need to serve somewhere else. 
or suffering. The person talks about me. The person hurt my feelings. Who cares? We're such babies. It's true. Oh, they stepped on my toes. They, they didn't say hi to me this morning. Who cares? Maybe they had something on their mind. It's not even suffering. Oh, they didn't, they didn't tell me I did a good job. Who cares? It's not about you anyway, is it? Person run me down. Who cares? Whose name are you trying to lift up? Yours? And if it bothers you so bad, put on your big boy pants. Go talk to them. Out of love. Not talk about them. Because you can't do that out of love. We need to grow up. This is in the church. Love is patient. We deal with it because we love them. Not because they first loved us. Not because we want love or expect love. But because we have experienced great love so we can give great love. Man, isn't it good that Jesus doesn't, doesn't ignore us or get mad at us or pout around? Doesn't, isn't it good that Jesus doesn't leave us or never speak to us or try to get back at us when we screw up? Because I know there's some mornings that I didn't say hi to him. He didn't sit around in heaven with his arms folded. He didn't say hi to me this morning. I don't think I'm ever going back down there. So stupid. It's so dumb. Love is patient. And in the church, man, this is how we should interact with each other. We don't just love people that are easy to love. That is not love. Love is never displayed between two people that are easy to love. Love is most readily displayed when it's hard and it's frustrating and it's aggravating. That's what love looks like. He says love is patient, but he doesn't stop there. He says love is kind. It doesn't say love ignores everything, but it says love is, love is gentle. Love is nice. Love is not rude, right? It says love is kind. Some of us aren't kind, and if you're not kind, you don't love. If you're the grumpiest person in the world and you hate everything, <laughs> I don't know that you love anything. It says love is kind. Love does not envy. Envy is jealousy, right? See, jealousy is horrible because jealousy is not just, I wish I had that. Love is, I wish I had that and I would take it away from you so that I could have it. Love doesn't look that way. Because jealousy is actually wishing harm on someone else for the betterment of self. Oh, I wish I had that gift. What you mean is you wish you had that spot and they didn't. Envy. Oh, I wish I had that much money. What you mean is I wish they didn't have it and I had it. Oh, I wish I had that job. What you mean is you wish they didn't have it and you had it. Love doesn't envy. See, the truth of it is love doesn't want to take. Love wants to give. Love is not, love is not a powder, right? Love is a cheerleader. See, the reason love doesn't envy is because, man, it's hard to want to take something away from somebody you love. Love is celebrating the gifts and the abilities and the talents and the blessings of others. Man, I'm glad that you are good at this thing. And I may not be good at that thing, but I'm going to spur you along. I'm going to cheer you all the way to the top. I'm going to, if I can help, I'm going to help. And if not, I'm just going to talk about how good you are at that thing. Because you know what? Maybe my gift is encouragement. And if I'd quit being so unhappy, maybe I could help. It says love doesn't envy. Envy should not be a thing that happens in the church because church people should be cheerleaders. Not stingy. It says love does not, is not boastful and it is not conceited. Now this is the same thing. I'm going to lump them together because boastful and conceited is, is thinking too highly of yourself. Thinking that you're the big deal, thinking that you're the thing, thinking that you are, 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 are at the top, that you're the, the thing that's the best, that you're the most important, that because you have a certain position or gift or ability or amount of money, that your opinion is the only opinion that matters. It says love's not that way. See, love doesn't say I'm higher than you or I'm better than you or it's all about me. Love says, hey, it's, it's, an, evil, it's an equal ground down here. And your opinion is just as valid as my opinion. It, it, I may not agree with it, but I'm going to listen. And I'm not going to get mad if, if we get together and, and we decide to go with yours. Now, see, I've, I've never seen that in the church. Have you? 
We get together in our little groups, and we're like, oh, man, we need red carpet. And then there's another little group over here, and it's like, we need blue carpet. Red carpet's the devil. And then you come back over here, and you're like, well, I don't like blue carpet because blue carpet's going to stain. And then you come back over here, and before long, you're blowing up, and you're having an argument because you've decided that blue carpet is the best. Who cares? We don't have carpet because it doesn't matter. And churches split. I know it sounds dumb, but have you been in them? You've been in those business meetings, right? Where people are getting up and yelling and like at the verge of cussing at each other, right? Church people, people that are supposed to be the people of God, that are supposed to be, by the way, people that love each other, that are known by their love for each other, and before long they're fussing and cussing at each other because somebody didn't scoot the chair back in the right spot or because the carpet's the wrong color. Because you know what? At the end of the day, it's never been about the carpet. It's never been about the chair. It's it's my way or no way. It's not supposed to be that way in the church. See, the truth of it is, it's not your way or my way. It's God's way, right? Your opinion actually doesn't really matter on its own. Neither does mine. But it's what builds the body. And the truth of it is, we get so focused on those other things, not because it's really important what color carpet we have or what kind of chairs we have or because we really matters if we're singing old music or new music, because none of that stuff really matters, or what version of the Bible you like to read out of, because none of that really matters. Actually, even in the statement, it says you like, doesn't it? It's because we don't love each other and we don't even know how. Because we would rather love ourselves than love the people around us. And he says, true love isn't that way. True love is not boastful. It's not conceited. See, true love can never be about you because if you make it about you, it's not about them. And the flip of that is also true. If you make it about them, it's never going to be about you. Love is an out thing, not an in thing. It says love is patient, love is kind, it doesn't envy, it's not boastful, it's not conceited. And it says it doesn't act improperly. doesn't act improperly. It's not whiny, it's not complaining, it's not all about you. It doesn't lead people away, it leads people in. True love is not a jerk. True love is not hateful. True love is not anger. True love is not about me, it's about them. It's not selfish. Man, it's like he continues that same process, right? It's not, it's not boastful. It's not conceited. It doesn't act improperly. It's not selfish. It's not about you. He says it like four times. Do you get it yet? Do you get it yet? Do you get it yet? You're not loving people if you're just about yourself. You're not loving people if you're the opinions, the one that matters. You're not loving people if it's all about your feelings. You're not loving people if it's only to get something in return. It's not provoked. And what he means is, hereby provoked, real love is not just love in response to someone loving you. Right? We talk about provoking someone to anger, and what we're doing is we're saying that someone kind of went and they aggravated me and they poked the bear long enough and then I was mad. You can be provoked into love too. Right? I love you, 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 and eventually you're going to be like, well, I love you too because I like the attention. This is true love's not that way. Love is not love in response to love. See, the reality of it is, if it's just love because somebody loved you first, man, it's not really love. You just love how they treat you. It's not provoked. You love them when it's hard. You love them when it's easy. You love them in between. It does not keep a record of wrongs. Ouch, right? See, some of us, we like have this little book somewhere. I don't know where you keep it. Um, but, um, maybe it's in the notes on your phone. I don't know. But you're like, on September the 12th, Bobby said this to me, and it made me super mad. On the 13th, they didn't Facebook me and tell me happy birthday. On the 14th, they didn't take out the trash. On the 15th, and we've got this list. And every time something blows up, we're like, oh, forgive and forget until something blows up. And then I'm going to bring up everything you've done for the past 32 years because I never really forgot it. I was just saving it as ammunition for the next time you really made me mad. And it says love doesn't do it that way. See, the reality of it is we even do that in the church, don't we? Oh, man, that person, man, they just they frustrate me. And I'm going to love them until they do this thing. And then I'm going to let them have it. I'm going for it. I'm going for the kill. I'm going for the jugular. I'm taking them down right in front of everybody. And I hope everybody sees it because everybody needs to know what kind of slime they are. No, everybody doesn't. It's not love. Oh, I love them when they're behaving. Great. It's not love. See, the reality of it is, is even when they're wrong, you love them anyway. That's love. 
Oh, but you don't know how they hurt me. doesn't really matter. I've never found a place in the Bible that says it does. We crucified Jesus, and he still loves us. Oh, I wasn't there. I didn't put the nail in his hands. No, but your sin did. He didn't leave you. The reality of it is, man, if he says this is how we're supposed to love, then he carries some weight because this is exactly how he loves. It says it finds no joy in unrighteousness. In other words, love doesn't lead others to sin. See, we get in this thing where we like to, because we mess up, we like to lead other people into it because misery loves company, right? Like if I'm sinning and you're sinning, it's not as bad because we can kind of hang out together and, and it's, it's watered down in masses. But if like I'm sinning and you're not sinning, that makes me feel bad. So we try to grab other people and lead them into our, into our sin and into our misery. It's like sin, true love doesn't do that. But it says it rejoices in, in the truth. You can love people with the truth too. Actually, truth is a good thing. See, the reality of it is, if I'm about to fall into a hole and you love me, you're going to be like, hey, by the way, there's a hole in front of you. See, sin is the same way, right? True love is, man, uh, I'm afraid for you that you're about to fall into this trap of the devil, and I just want to warn you. I'm not coming to you with judgment. I'm not coming to you with anger. I'm not coming to you with I'm better than you because I know I'm not, but I see that destruction is on its way to your house. And I don't want that for you. See, I want good things for you. It's all from love. I want good things from you. I want you to follow God to the greatest extent because I believe that's the more for your life. And right now you're headed towards the less and the less could kill you. And I just want to interject some truth into here that the word says, man, this is not a good thing for us, right? And everybody's like, oh, don't talk about my life. Don't talk about what I do. Don't talk about, don't bring that up. Don't do that. It's not loving to not. I can ignore all the sin and all the stuff and all the hard for your life. I can ignore all that and you can die. But that's not love. See, the truth is, true love, real love rejoices in truth. And then it says in seven, it bears all things. Bearing something is like carrying something, right? And he's saying true love carries all things. It doesn't crack under the weight of pressure. He goes on, it says that it believes all things. Not that it believes you when you come up and like make up stuff, but it believes, right? And what it's saying is it believes for the best. Or it, it, it cheers on your abilities that we're not looking at each other comparing each other and being like oh I'm a better singer than you so I'm not going to like try to help you and, and cheer you along into what God has for you but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to compare and I'm going to be prideful see true love is not that way see real ministry real love is open handed I'm going to let you do it because I, I love you and I'm going to try to help you and hopefully you'll take the help right but it cheers along our, our abilities and our talents it doesn't tear down abilities and talents but it leads other people into the best that God has for them it says it believes all things it says it hopes all things or hopes for the best in all things in life itself it leads you along cheers you along and it says it endures all things that even when it's hard true love doesn't stop real love doesn't stop that actually real love starts when it gets hard See, the reality of it is if you're always coming and yes man in me and you're always, oh, I love you brother in me and you're always buying dinner for me and things like that, it's easy to love you and I'm going to want to be around you a whole bunch. But when life gets hard for you or it gets hard for me, is that going to endure? When you're alone, is that going to endure? When you've wronged me because you didn't say hi to me is that going to endure when you've wronged me because you didn't tell me i did a good job is true love going to endure then or when god promotes you to a place that i want to be in is true love going to endure then see the reality of it is love is never really displayed when it's easy to love love is always displayed vibrantly in situations where it is hard to love and that is why God knit the church together in the way the church is knit together. Amen? That is why churches were never meant to be a lot of people that dress the exact same way. 
with all the same opinions and all the same thoughts and all, all a bunch of yes men just kind of coming around the, the thing. Real, real church is meant to be a bunch of people from a bunch of different backgrounds, from a bunch of different places with a bunch of different experiences, some of which maybe, you know, have, have been good experiences and some of which maybe have been bad experiences, but different experiences where we come together and we learn to live together in a body. And we realize, man, that, that yes, the hand has a valid position in the body, but so does the blood vessels. And even beyond that, so does the blood, because without the blood, which you don't see unless something bad happens, right? And without the blood vessels carrying the blood, the hand would never be able to do what it does. Real love and and the real church is not meant to be a place where we come and we kind of set out in these little groups and these little cliques and these little hierarchies of, man, these are the really good people and these are the people that just kind of maybe are not as good and these are the people that are in between or these are the people that all dress the same and look the same and act the same and then you have this other group that dresses the same and looks the same and acts the same. Real church is never meant to be that way. But it's meant to be people with scars and people without who hug and embrace and love each other because there's value in that. People that have one skin tone versus people that are a different skin tone that, you know what, have different experiences and different backgrounds and come from different cultures but all work together to build up the body. It's meant to be people who, you know, serve in one spot cheering along a group of people who, 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 who serve in another spot. See, the reality of it is, man, we're for each other because God is for us. And we serve from a place of love, not for a place of love. And the church will never be a healthy church until the church people, the people in the church, decide, man, that this is going to be an environment where the moment you come in the door, you belong. Not we're checking you for what you look like to see what you're trying to get, right? Not we're checking you for how you act to see if you're going to fit into our clique, but man, we we come along beside each other and we nurture each other and we grab each other and we take each other up and we all forward together walk toward Jesus. And you can do that with people that don't look like you. And you can do that with people that don't act like you. And you can do that with people that that don't speak to you, right? And you can do that with people who, who don't serve and who don't get it and who never contribute. You can do that because one day maybe they will. And you've got to bear with them until they do. You know why? Because Jesus bared with you until you did. How many of you popped out saved? Should have killed you then. How many of you, one year old, gave your life to Jesus? Should have killed you then. You never should have made it to two. I've met two-year-olds. You never should have made it there. You never should have got to three. You never should have got to four. Some of you, you may be 70 now, and you haven't given your life to Jesus. And it's like, he's still bearing with you. So what gives you the right to give up? You, you say you're saved today and, and you still don't follow everything. You still cause Jesus suffering and problems, right? He hasn't squashed you yet. So what gives you the right to do it to others? See, the reality of it is, and here's what he's getting to, love never ends. Love starts the moment you encounter them and it never stops. Love starts the moment you see them and it never stops. Not the moment they respond to your love or the moment they make you feel good or the moment they compliment you or the moment they invest in you, but the moment they walk in the door, that's when love begins and it doesn't stop. Love in the church should never end. So can I just say, if you're like, oh, they hurt my feelings, get over it. Who cares? It's not about your feelings. It never will be. Oh, but they don't do anything. Who cares? It's never been about that, and that never actually should stop you from doing anything. It's not about what you get. It's about the ability to give. And he says, love never ends. And then he goes on, he says, but as for prophecies, maybe that's your gift. They're going to come to an end. The moment you leave this place and step into heaven, prophecies are done. So you trust in that gift, and you act like it's a big deal, but I just want you to know, it doesn't come above love. Languages, you may, be the, like, you may be the best human orator on the planet. You may be the best speaker, and you may fill stadiums. We're all out of a job when we enter into heaven. Amen. My spiritual gift is done the moment I walk through the door. I'm never going to get to stand in heaven in front of a stage and be like, let me tell you about Jesus who's right here, by the way. <laughs> you know why? Because Jesus can tell you about Jesus. I'm out of a job when I get there. I want to be a speaker. <laughs> really? 
He says, knowledge, it's going to come to an end. You're going to be sitting before the one that can explain and recall the Bible because he is, right? You're done with that. It says in nine, for we know in part and we prophesy in part. We only know a little bit and we only can give a little bit. But when the perfect comes, when perfection comes, when Jesus comes, and he is, the partial is going to come to an end. Amen? When Jesus comes, the perfect one comes, this that we're living in, this imperfect, partial, this image of what it was meant to be, this, this only kind of minute fragment of what perfection is, it's going to come to an end. There's going to be no more of this down here. This is in 11, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. When I was little, I talked like a little kid. And I thought like a little kid. And I reasoned like a little kid. But when I became a man, I put aside childish things the same way. Man, right now we're only little babies. Right now we only get a little bit. We only know a little bit. We only have a little fragment. But man, we're going we're gonna to step into that and we're going to put aside all that stuff. For now we indistinctly see, we, we can only barely see as in a mirror, but one day we're going to be face to face. Man, isn't that amazing? Man, I feel like I know some stuff about Jesus, and can I just say it's a cloudy mirror at best. Man, I've seen some amazing things from God, but can I just say it's a cloudy mirror at best. I've seen some miracles in my life. It's a cloudy mirror at best. But one day we're going to stand face to face. And I'm going to be out of a job because it says, now I know in part, but then I will know fully. But listen to this. As I am fully known. Now these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And can I just say this morning what the church globally needs and what we need in this place more than anything else is not better speakers and better music and more stuff and a bigger building and more chairs. And it's not more money. It's not more teachers. It's not more programs. It's not more stuff. What we need as a church more than anything else is this love. Because this love is a love you cannot find out of the presence of Jesus. Amen? Some of you guys are like, oh, I love like that. I really doubt it. I really doubt it. Actually, I don't know that I've ever even met anyone other than Jesus who loves like that. But can I just say, Jesus said to the church, he said to the disciples, they're going to know your mind by how you love each other. Isn't it amazing that we miss that? And we've built churches around the music. We split churches also around the music because we didn't have love. And we've built churches around programs. Where'd you find that? I've never have. Never have. And we've built churches around ministers. I've seen that, haven't you? When they die or leave, what happens to the church? It falls apart. Everybody leaves because I want this guy and I want that guy and I need this and I need that. Because at the end of the day, what we never had, what we never had is love. See, the reality of it is, you don't come into this place to sing songs. And if you do, you're wrong. And you don't come into this place because we got the right programs. And if you do, you're wrong. And you don't come into this place because the, the speaking. And if you do, you're wrong. And we meet together because this is the place, right, that we can see the representation of the love of Jesus on the planet, or it should be. The church was meant to be a group of people that loved each other like Jesus loved them, that was selfless love, sacrificial love, because those are real love. Love is love that's most often displayed or best displayed when it's hard, not when it's easy. And if I could say one thing that would change us as a group of people more than anything else, and I'll be honest, I think this is a pretty loving place. Most of what I hear is, man, y'all, y'all love each other. Y'all, y'all, yeah, we're good at loving each other, but what happens when somebody that's never been in here comes in here? Do you ask their name? Do you meet them? Do you know them? Do you invest in them? Do you serve them? No, because we don't know if they're like us yet. They've got to stay for a while first. No, they don't. No, they don't. 
If there's somebody in this building that you don't know their name today, you need to learn it. Amen? Whether that be, hey, what's your name? Glad you're here. Or, hey, let me take you out to dinner this week. How many of you did that last week with somebody that goes here? But we're together on Sunday. Yeah, read Acts chapter 2. When were they together? If there's somebody you're mad at, which I don't think there's any of that, you need to A, get over it. You need to B, forgive them. And you need to let them know. Not everybody know but them. Because ultimately it's not between me and you and them, it's between you and them, right? If somebody's offended you, go to them in love. Not if you're mad, but when it's done. And you say, hey, I just want you to know that hurt my feelings and I don't want to be mad and I don't know if you're mad and that's maybe what happened, but uh, I want to get past it. You know why? Because that's love. And you'll never be a healthy church until you have a healthy perspective of what the church is. Can we just quit being babies? Amen. I'm a baby sometimes too. Amen. So are you. Can you quit worrying about your feelings? Because ultimately, I've never found a spot in here where it says your feelings are worth more than the glory of God. Have you? Your feelings are worth more than the spread of the church your feelings are worth more than lifting up the name of Jesus you ever found that you never will man this morning like I said I think this is a pretty loving place and I'm not trying to whip on anybody or beat on anybody but man if we're going to step into what God has for us we got to do it together not alone see I believe and I've said this I believe God has amazing things for us. Look around this morning. See how many empty seats there are? I get it's Father's Day, and I'm not worried about that or knocking that. I'm just saying there's opportunity, is there not? There's people that could be there, is there not? There's people you know that could be there, is there not? But you don't want to bring somebody to a place where you're not sure if they're going to be loved when they walk in, do you? Man, church is a community of believers who meet together and love each other. Not a building or an organization that we attend. And if you're not part of that community, you need to get in that community because you need it. Amen? You try doing it on your own. Done. You're dead. You can't. You need friends that are going to speak the truth of God's word into your life. And there should be some of those in here. We're a community of believers. I hate the term doing life together because I think it's hokey, but it is, isn't it? That's what we do. A community of believers who meet together, not a building or an organization that we attend. So can I just maybe add to last week? We said it's important that we show up, right? Because we're part of the body. And I'm glad my arm showed up today. (laughs) So you need to be here. And we need to get involved. We need to serve. But can I just add to that? Not because we want to be served. We need to serve because we're part of the body. And Jesus has called us to it. We serve from love because we love where we are and we love the people around us. Not for it. That we need to give, we need to invest. I I know, again, money, right? Monetarily, I'm not ashamed of it because God talks about it. You can steal from him if you want or you can give to him and see what he does back in response to that. It's his anyway. He didn't have to give it to you yesterday. He can take it away tomorrow. You need to give because we cannot minister to them if we don't have it. Amen? It's not about you. It's not about buying nice chairs and it's not about buying more music and it's not about buying goldfish crackers in the morning. It's not ever been about that. It's been about reaching them. You need to give. You need to pray. Oh, I don't like them. Pray for them. You will tomorrow or down the road somewhere. Oh, they'd hurt my feelings. Pray for them. Oh, they're not doing anything. Pray for them. You can't do anything anyway, can you? 
you can verbally assault them and they'll leave. But I feel like we need our pinkies. If my pinky doesn't work, I don't just chop it off. And we need to invite. Amen. From a place of love, not for a place of love. And when we have a healthy view of the church, we will have a healthy church. Until then, man, we're not doing much. Let's pray.